Exodus 32, Exodus chapter 32. Can I, can I read you something about this, this golden calf? Say yes, because I'm going to anyway. Um, the, the Bible says, look at verse number 5. When Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation, said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Now, you remember how on, on a recent Sunday morning we talked about how people do all sorts of pagan and corrupt things, but they put the Lord's name on it and that makes it okay? I want you to listen to the, just listen carefully. I'll try not to comment. I want you to listen carefully to the words of this song. The name of the song is, Here Comes Santa Claus. And most of you just know the first couple of lines because it comes on when you're shopping in the grocery store and you tune it out because it's an annoying little ditty. Here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus, coming down to Santa Claus Lane. Whatever that is. All right, here's the words. Here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus, right down Santa Claus Lane. Vixen and Blitzen and all his reindeer pulling on the reins. Bells are ringing, children singing, all is merry and bright. Hang your stockings and say your prayers, because Santa Claus comes tonight. That's weird. Here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus, right down Santa Claus Lane. He's got a bag that's filled with toys for boys and girls again. Hear those sleigh bells jingle jangle. Oh, what a beautiful sight. So jump in bed and cover your head, because Santa Claus comes tonight. It's a beautiful sight, but you're not allowed to see it. Here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus, right down Santa Claus Lane. He doesn't care if you're rich or poor. He loves you just the same. Santa Claus knows we're all God's children. That makes everything right. So fill your hearts with Christmas cheer, because Santa Claus comes tonight. Here comes, the last verse is a, is a dandy. Here comes Santa Claus, here comes Santa Claus, right down Santa Claus Lane. He'll come around when the chimes ring out that it's Christmas morn again. Peace on earth will come to all if we just follow the light. So let's give thanks to the Lord above that Santa Claus comes tonight. Now... <laughs> Is, is there anything that illustrates more clearly what we're talking about in this nation in which we live? Let's give thanks to the Lord above that Santa Claus comes tonight. Wow. Let's don't. <laughs> All right, Exodus 32. Exodus 32. You think I made that up? I didn't make that up. Those are the words of the song. Yes. No, 30s, 40s, somewhere. It's been around a while. Elvis, Elvis sang it, so it's been, been around a while. So, remarkable. Just hey, just do what you want. Just put the Lord's name on it, and we're all God's children. That makes everything right. Whatever you do is right because you're God's you're God's child. Now I'll get the date. Somebody can look it up while I'm preaching. <laughs> Brother Baker just got a word of knowledge. 
the Lord revealed to him it was 1947. <laughs> All right, Exodus 32, verse 25. And when Moses saw that the people were naked, have you noticed the deterioration? They sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. But then the play turned to dancing, and then the dancing turned to nakedness. If you, if you incline your heart toward the Lord, the progression will be upward. If you incline your heart toward idols, the progression will be downward. But there will be a progression. You're not going to stay in one spot. And when Moses saw the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked to their shame among their enemies... Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. And he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side, and go in and out from the gate, from gate to gate throughout the camp, and slay every man his brother, and every man his companion, every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and there fell of the people that day about three thousand men. But verse 2728, we're going to have to leave that for our midweek pick-me-up session on, on Thursday. You, we, can't, we can't do that on a, on a Sunday. But I'll tell you what we can do on a Sunday. The people were naked. Or if you grew up in the Deep South, they were naked. N-E-C-K-I-D, naked. And you're not supposed to be naked where other people can see you. So we might, we might discuss that here for the next few minutes and, and uh, move on to a couple other things. All right, uh, so let's pray again. Lord, Lord, help us, help us. We're so glad we're not waiting for a gold calf to come out of the fire and we're not waiting for a, a, a mythical creature to come down the Santa Claus Lane. We're thankful we have a real God, a true God, a living God, a powerful God, and a God who spoke to us in the Bible, and we pray that... Uh, you'd find us paying attention to what you said in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, as we go on and talk about the consequence of the sin committed by Aaron in making the golden calf, we've already discussed the type of music associated with false religion, the type of immoral conduct growing out of idolatry, and we now need to consider the fact that people were naked. All right, Exhibit A. (laughs) Adam and Eve were without clothes in the garden. The moment they fell into sin, it was no longer proper, safe, advisable, or right for them to be in that condition. They knew they were naked, and they were ashamed to be seen in that condition. Now the man's with his wife, and and the wife's with her husband, but they heard a voice walking in the garden the cool of the day... Nobody else was supposed to see that man or that woman in that condition. And they knew that. Without a commandment, without a Bible, without a preacher, without a Sunday school lesson, they both knew whoever's walking in that garden should not see me naked, should not see my, my spouse naked, and they ran and hid themselves. Now, it's an amazing thing how... People today, with a preacher, and with a Bible, and with church, and with 6,000 years of experience behind them, 
don't know what Adam and Eve knew in a fallen condition in the garden. Well, that man, that woman, that day, they're as lost as anybody's ever been. But their conscience and, and the, the, the reality of the circumstance compelled them to hide in, in the garden. And so when God found them, who is holy, He made coats of skins to cover them. That's what He did. And from that, you say, well, who else was around? Nobody. God's, God's establishing a principle. If you're going to be out and about, where it, it, outdoors, out where eyes can see you, I want you covered up. That's what he said. And from that day to this, those who draw nigh to God feel compelled to cover their flesh, and those who consider themselves beyond his gaze feel no shame in exposing their flesh. And the more you teach a culture and a society, there is no God, there's no real God, there's no God that's watching, there's no God that's involved, the more you'll see France turn into uh, the Congo, and the more you'll see uh, the United States turned into Swaziland. And if you send missionaries over there to establish churches and preach the gospel, you'll see the slides and the pictures the missionaries send back of the people in darkest Africa wearing long dresses and and shirts and trousers. It's not an African jungle thing. It's not a primitive tribal thing that you've got to go to the rainforest of Brazil where people know there's a real God watching them. They put clothes on. And where people don't believe there's a real God watching them, they pull their clothes off and let everybody see them naked. That's a universal thing the world over. Peter, come to John 21. John chapter 21. Peter's on a boat fishing with his buddies. And the Lord shows up. John 21, verse 7, Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. Now, now again... Adam and his wife sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons, correct? When the Lord showed up, they were naked. They didn't take off the aprons. Clearly, nakedness in the Bible is not defined as the 100% absence of clothing. It has to do with the covering of, of the... The bare essentials, that wouldn't be the right term. <laughs> you know exactly what we're talking about. Sure. Peter's got an outer garment, a coat that covers his body, and then he's got undergarment type clothing that is more convenient for fishing in. But when the Lord showed up, he wanted to be clothed with more than what he was wearing around his buds, and he put his fisher's coat on him. And he was capable of diving in the water and swimming to shore with his fisher's coat on. Now the people on the beach probably thought he looked weird when he got there, but I've seen people in swimming suits that look weird when they get there. You don't. It doesn't really matter what you wear. So, okay. Um, 
So, so you're saying naked doesn't mean naked. Well, let, let's not go by what I say. Let's go by what the Bible says. Exodus 28. Exodus chapter 28. I don't know if I agree with any of this. Yeah, but just be interested. Just, just listen. Just, just for Out of curiosity. You might want to know what the Bible says. Exodus 28, verse 44. Thus saith the Lord, I hate yoga pants. The match never been this bad before. Yeah, in the eighties they had those bullfighting britches they wore for a while. There's a, a, a spandex thing that was all the rage, you know. And and uh, so there's always been something, always been been something. But anyway, no. Here's here's there really is a verse in Exodus we're going to read. Exodus twenty eight, verse <laughs> verse forty two. Right, for, let's start at forty. And, and for Aaron's sons, thou shalt make coats, and thou shalt make for them girdles, and bonnets shalt thou make for them for glory and for beauty. And thou shalt put them upon Aaron thy brother and his sons with him, and shall anoint them, and consecrate them, and sanctify them, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office. And thou shalt make them linen breeches to cover their nakedness. From the loins even unto the thighs they shall reach. And they shall be upon Aaron upon his sons when they come in unto the tabernacle of the congregation, or when they come near unto the altar to minister in the holy place, that they bear not iniquity and die. It shall be a statute forever unto him and his seed after him. So people get all freaked out because we've got a, a, a dress code for our youth to wear for church activities and youth activities. Who are we going to have that for? Go to the public school and, and come back and tell me what we have to have that for. If you have no standard, that's what you get. No standard. Okay, so here's what the Lord said. I want you to make, make long garments for Aaron and his sons to wear when they minister before me. Okay? And then under those long garments, I want them to wear breeches which reach to their knees... Because if I see their thighs, or you see their thighs, you will be holding their nakedness, nakedness, and I don't want them naked. So the exposure of the leg above the knee is being naked. That's what the Bible says. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's what the Bible... What about my shorts? You're naked. What about my miniskirt? You're naked. God doesn't want to see it. He don't want anybody else to see it. I didn't come here for this. Yeah, that's why it's different than ordering sermons online. This isn't a la carte. This is mess hall. Get what we put on the plate. Exodus 20 verse 26. Exodus chapter 20, verse 26. Now, you know who doesn't care about this? People don't care what God says. You know who's interested in this? People who care what God says. You do what you want. I'm not going to follow you home. Wear what you want when you get there. But the Lord doesn't want people naked. Exodus 20 and verse number 26. Exodus 20, verse 26. Uh, let's start 24. An altar of earth uh, thou shalt make unto me, and shalt sacrifice 
Thereon thy burnt offerings, and thy peace offerings, thy sheep, and thine oxen, in all places where I record my name, I will come unto thee, and I will bless thee. And if thou wilt make me an altar of stone, thou shalt not build it of hewn stone. For if thou lift up thy tool upon it, thou hast polluted it. Neither shalt thou go up by steps unto mine altar, that thy nakedness be not discovered thereon. You know what the Lord said? He said, I don't want nakedness to be seen even if it's accidental. Now, if you wear enough clothes, you can turn this way, you can turn that way, you can walk up the steps, you can walk down the steps, and your nakedness is not going to appear. But when you're trying to come as close to naked as you can get without being naked, you're liable to be accidentally uncovered. And the Lord said, let's let's not make any provision for the flesh. Now, here's what people say. Right away, here's what people say who love the flesh. Who want to see women's exposed legs. Who want to see women with their low-cut tops. Here's what people say. We're not under the law. Look, look, here's my answer to that. You're not under anything. You say that like the New Testament governs your life. That don't govern your life either. So just, just, just admit it. You're not under anything. New Testament tells you to be a faithful part of a, of a local body of believers. You're not. You just whine about being under the law. New Testament says go in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You don't. But whenever somebody brings up something out of Exodus, we're not under the law. You're not under Galatians either. You're not under Ephesians. You're not under Romans. The only thing you're under is yourself. So don't interfere with people trying to get right with God. Well, we're not under the law. We just go by the New Testament. Okay, so you're okay with bestiality. That's not forbidden in the New Testament. Well, yeah, but that, well, that's the law. The the Old Testament law says a man's not to lay with his mother, and a and a girl's not to lay with her father. Well, we're not under the law. Okay, well, I don't want to come to your house. The people who are when you try to get somebody to live right, and they say we're not under the law, just mark it down. They're not under anything. They got no church, they got no pastor, they got no God, they run their own life, and they'll pull some verses out of the Bible if they agree with what they want to do. So there that's we just under grace. We're not you don't know anything about grace, so you wouldn't get aggravated every time somebody tries to show you something about living right and doing right. Habakkuk chapter number two. Habakkuk chapter two. KKK is in the Bible. I don't know if you knew that. Habakkuk. H-A-B-K-K-U-K. Habakkuk. Chapter number 2. What did you bring that up for? I don't know. Just get your mind off being ag- angry about a preacher trying to get people to not go naked. I don't get why a man wants his daughters to go around Showing every bump and curve and blemish and everything else in this society? This world? Really? All right. uh, Back at 2.15. Everybody find it? Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink. That's, That's still in the Bible. That puttest thy bottle to him and makest him drunken also. That thou mayest look on their nakedness, 
Now, the fact that it's in the Bible would make it true even if life hadn't proven it to be true a million times over. But men try to get women to drink alcohol so they can get the women to take their clothes off. That's what, that's what God said in the Bible. Okay, so, so girls, ladies, if you have one half of a human brain in your head, you will never show any interest whatsoever in a man or a boy who doesn't see anything wrong with drinking alcohol. That'd be the safest thing to do. Where do you grab the rattlesnake to keep from getting bit? I'll tell you what to do. Don't grab the rattlesnake. How far can I reach my arm in the tiger's cage without him ripping my hand off? How about just don't put your hand in there? Well, how far do you think that boy would try to go with me if I just stay away from him? If he doesn't see anything wrong with drinking, he might not see anything wrong with trying to take your clothes off. Uh, you just so narrow minded and you say, no, I just spend my life picking up the pieces. And people who didn't think the Bible meant what it said. It's what it says. Girls, if he drinks, if he if he doesn't drink yet, but can't wait till he can, tell him keep moving. Tell him go ruin somebody else's life. You don't you don't need any help ruining your life. Amen. That's why, that's why the, 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 uh, these hell holes, uh, some of you call them bars, the, these hell holes, they have, they call it ladies night. You know why? Because if they'll serve you free drinks, they can get you to stop being a lady. Well, you don't have a drink or two, loosen up a little bit. I don't want to get loosened up. I want to stay uptight. I want to say tense. No, I believe the word is be sober, be vigilant. If you told a soldier in a guard tower to have a few drinks, you'd be leading him toward dereliction of his duty. And uh, that alcohol has not produced much in a good way. Anyway, Mark chapter 5. Let's look over here. Mark chapter 5. We're not going to spend all night on this, but it's just uh, everybody's enjoying it so much. We might as well stay here for a while. Mark chapter number 5. I'm really looking forward to the Lord coming. Be raptured, get up there to to go to heaven, walk down the gold street, no naked people on the billboards, riding down the road, no naked people on the sidewalk, no naked people in the grocery store, no naked people in the church. You know, it's amazing, man. Listen, I, I get around. Maybe you get around. I get around. And now just before the sermon, I'm going to have a special. And Sister Juliet gets up and she, she instinctively tries to pull her skirt down because she knows it's too short. And now she's going to walk up three flights of stairs and stand in front of a group of young Christian men to sing a song about how much she loves the Lord. How about you don't? Well, what do you think you can tell people what to wear? If I have to. 
if your mom didn't teach you and your grandmother didn't teach you and your Sunday school teachers didn't teach you, I guess I'll have to. I don't want to do it, but if I have to, I will. <laughs> Mark chapter 5. Oh, you preach like that, man. You never know anybody at church. That's okay. It's okay. Some people still want to hear the Bible. All right, anyway, Mark chapter 5. Um, Verse 1, they come over unto the other side of the sea in the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately they met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. That wouldn't be a good thing. Had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. Always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and Cutting himself with stones. This guy's a mess, man. He's a mess. Full of the devil. When he saw Jesus far off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God, thou torment me not. He said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And out they came. Verse 13, unclean spirits went out. Verse 14, and they fed the swine, they fed the swine fled and told it the city and the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And when they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, they were afraid. Now, as long as this man's under the control of the devil, he has no inhibitions whatsoever about running around naked. And as soon as the devil leaves and Jesus takes control of the man, he gets dressed. Without a sermon, without preaching, without a class, without reading a book on modesty, he just understood that people in the presence of the Lord clothe themselves... And people who don't have God in their life, strip it off. That's, that's the Bible. Well, I... Look, you can do what you want to do, but now you're informed. Now you're informed. Okay. That's enough, enough of that. In this chapter, Exodus 32, we see that people are worshiping a false god, and they're doing so with their clothes off. Well, they'd never do that in church. Why not? Why not? Well, I just don't think it... The music's gone that far. You change the music to give unsaved people the music they like. You change the preaching to give unsaved people the type of preaching they like. You change the rules to give unsaved people the type of liberty they like. Your advertisements online and the newspapers say, we won't judge you, wear whatever you want to wear. Give it ten years. Well, I just don't... I know you don't, I know you don't think it'll get that bad, but you didn't think it would get this bad. And it has. This is exactly what the people wanted. They wanted a God who could not see, speak, or judge. 
But the Lord told us this ancient error was one from which we must learn, and the lesson is this. We must beware the danger of rendering our God blind, unknowing, far away, and powerless. It is the fear of the Lord which often serves to keep the passions and shameful lusts of the flesh in check. These people are still attending worship, such as it was, but are involved in the grossest immorality while doing so. It is possible for any man to attend a house of worship, participate in religious activities, and sin to the fullest if his God is lifeless, powerless, and indifferent. That's the God your neighbors worship. We must keep the reality of the true and living almighty God before us at all times. All right, now our second topic tonight flows right out of the first one. Verse 25. And when Moses saw the people were naked, parentheses, for Aaron had made them naked unto their shame. So let's say a word about leadership. I don't think it's possible to believe that, I just, I just, I don't think Aaron gave an order. Like, now take off your clothes and dance. Uh, that, that didn't happen. Nobody reading the passage would, would think that happened. But it's clearly stated by Moses and recorded by the Holy Spirit that Aaron is the cause of their vile condition. It was his duty as their leader to direct them in the right paths, to rebuke them if they sought to stray, and to call for God to intervene should they insist upon transgression. He did none of these things. His actions encouraged and contributed to their initial blasphemy, which makes him accountable to the Lord for their subsequent follies. That's what it said. There's an expectation that those who are given either the personality or the place which enables them to hold a measure of sway over others are answerable to God for how they use that power. More so if it's a God-given power. Husbands, fathers. I'm in charge around here, then you're responsible. The coach, the quarterback, the general, the supervisor, the teacher, the parent may be seen as getting too much credit when things go right and too much blame when they go wrong, but that's just how it is. It may seem unfair that the laws of the land punish those in places of power more severely than those beneath them, but there's a biblical sanction for it. Come to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter... No, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy 5. You get, Yeah, 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy 5. Verse 17. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. Now, whatever you think of that verse, whether you like it or don't, you can't deny that the Lord counts the deeds of some as more important than the deeds of others. 
He said, that, that the man that labors in the word and in doctrine, his work is worth double the work of the man that doesn't do that. Amen. Well, then what would his censure be? Sure. What would his blame be? What, was his, what would his accountability be if he failed in those matters? Wouldn't you think it'd be double as well? Let the husband, the parent, the pastor, the teacher, everyone who desires a place of authority or inherits that place, beware. Luke 12, 48 says, For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. And of whom men have committed, to whom men have committed much, of him will they ask the more. You just a man? God's got expectations for you. You're a man that's taken a wife. God's got greater expectations for you. You're a man with a wife who's brought children in the world. God has greater expectations for you. Are you a man who speaks on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ? God expects more and more and more and more. Listen to this. Responsible leadership. It's not something to stick your chest out over and pat yourself on the back and look at me, I'm in charge. It's an awesome, terrible responsibility. Should be dealt with as such. You're a young lady who claims the name of Jesus Christ. God expects something of you. Did you vow to be a good wife? God expects more of you. Did you bring children in this world for whom you're setting an example? God expects still more of you. Aaron, you, you made these people naked. In what way? By not preventing it. In what way? By not teaching them something better. In what way? By facilitating, by letting them do what they wanted to do, not, not instructing them to do what God said. You're responsible, Aaron. The husband doesn't love his wife and honor his wife is teaching his sons to disrespect, mistreat women. A woman who's not subject to her husband and submission to her husband is teaching her children the Word of God's a bunch of junk. Ignore the Bible. The preacher who encourages a congregation of sin is saying to them, with or without saying so, there is no real God. Serious responsibilities. The college professor and the school teacher teaching evolution is not saying go out and murder, go out and molest, go out and rob and steal. But they are providing the intellectual environment and justification for living like animals. They're responsible. Lord said, Aaron, it's on you. It's on you. Our words and our ways are observed and followed. What we allow in ourselves, what we encourage in others, what we fail to hinder or prevent, all play a part in the lives lived by those around us. Aaron made them do what he never told them to do. Think about that. He didn't say, pull off your clothes. But he didn't say, don't. And he didn't stop the music when the immoral activity began. He didn't repent, run over and grab that calf and throw it back in the fire and say, this has gone too far. The Lord said, you're in charge, I'm holding you responsible. It's about that. 
You sure you want to be the supervisor? Isn't it easier just to criticize him? You sure you want to start your own business and your own company? You sure, you sure you want to give up preaching two and three times a week here and there and becoming a pastor? You, you sure you want to be a pastor? You sure you want to get married? You sure you want to have children? Look, these things all sound great if what you want is to be in charge. But you've got to understand there comes a grave responsibility with each and every one of those positions. All right, the last phrase in this verse is an odd one under the circumstances. For Aaron had made them naked under their shame among their enemies. Well, the Israelites are out in the wilderness. Egypt is behind them. Canaan is way out front. Who are these enemies? The wording sounds as though they are they're looking on, they're watching the flesh fest. Is it possible there were spies come from the nations of Canaan watching to see what was going on? Maybe. Israelites sent spies into Jericho. Maybe Jericho had sent spies out in Israel. Is the reference to the principalities and powers in the unseen world? I don't know. How about that mixed multitude that came out of Egypt with the children of Israel? Maybe they're watching and seeing, okay, if I'm going to be one of these Hebrews, I've got to see how they live and how they worship God. No, this is how they do it, man. This is... Like being back in Memphis. No, not not that one. The one the one in Egypt. The the other the other Memphis. I can't tell. Nobody can tell. But this we can say for sure. When we forsake the right ways of the Lord and give ourselves to sin, we always go deeper into the sin than we had anticipated. Just like when we abandon self and, and present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, He'll always take us farther into righteousness than we had intended on going. None would have thought that the making of a golden calf would have led to public nudity. But it did. And as these people brought out of Egypt had a testimony that they were the people of God, so every professing Christian has a testimony. And all who claim the name of Christ are under observation. Job mates, classmates, neighbors, the world in general. They watch everyone who claims to know the Lord to see if He's real in our lives. To see if he's made any difference in our lives. And when we live contrary to the righteousness and the holiness of God. It not only affects our lives. It not only affects the lives of those with whom we associate. It affects the lives of God's enemies who are watching God's people. I'm concerned about that. I hope you are. Come to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. 
Hebrews 12.1 Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now again, Hebrews 12.1 I don't know who those witnesses are, do you? We, we've all got our views on it. We've all got a cross-reference that, that might settle it for us. We've all seen something in a commentary someplace or another. It's it's the, the people that have already gone on to heaven. I hope they're not watching. I'd sure ruin heaven for them. <laughs> it's the world around us watching. It's new Christians watching to see. It's, it's, it's well, it's Hebrew, so it's all Jews in the tribulation. We can just ignore all of it till after the rapture. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's just about anything you want it to be. But whoever these people are, Jesus is the author and finisher of their faith. Well, that's me. Whoever these people are, uh, Jesus endured the cross for me. It's sitting out the right hand of the throne of God for me. So, so whoever Hebrews was written to when it was first written in 44 AD, it certainly tells my story. I hope it tells yours. And I'm told that there are a great cloud of witnesses surrounding me for the very reason that I know Jesus Christ. For that reason, they're watching me. And because, look, not because of my family. Not because, not for my health benefits, not for a reward at the judgment seat of Christ, but for the sake of the great cloud of witnesses who are watching me, God asked me to lay aside sin. Stop sinning. Why? Because people can't see God. They just see the people who claim to know God and they think God is who we say He is by our lives. And so it matters what I do, where I go, how I conduct myself. Psalm 59. Psalm number 59. No, let's do 56 first. Psalm 56, then we'll go to 59. Psalm 56, 1, be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresseth me. Mine enemies would daily swallow me up, for they be many that fight against me, O thou most high. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I've put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Have you put your trust in God? Have you made his word your praise? I have that. that I, I can... I can Line up with this. Verse 5. Every day they rest my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather themselves together. They hide themselves. They mark my steps. They wait for my soul. Okay. I know God. I know His Word. I have testimony that I belong to Him. And you know what, you know what those verses say? Look, okay, okay, they're enemies. They don't like it. They don't agree. But you know what it says? They hear the words we say. They watch the way we walk. They observe the places that we go. 
Look, just just leave leave out that they want to destroy. Leave out that they want to swallow up the writer of the psalm. And all that. Just just look what it says. Every day they rest my words. Then they're listening to them. And they gather themselves together and mark my steps. Then they're watching where we go and what we do and how we do it. That should matter to us. That they see us properly representing God. Psalm 59. Psalm 59. Verse 1. Deliver me from mine enemies, O my God. Defend me from them that rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity. And save me from bloody men. For lo, they lie and wait for my soul. The mighty are gathered against me. Not for my transgression, nor for my sin, O Lord. Then for what? Because if the other men that curse and swear on the job can get the Christian to curse and swear on the job, they don't have to feel bad about cursing and swearing. If the other women on the job can get the Christian woman on the job to gossip with them, then they don't have to feel bad about gossiping. If the unsaved kids in the classroom can get the saved kid in the classroom to mock and make fun of and criticize mom and dad, then they don't have to feel guilty about not honoring their parents. What this world wants is to neutralize your testimony and silence their conscience by proving to themselves that your God's not real. That's what they want. You want to, you want to, you know, look, look, all the questions, all the answers, all the reasoning, all the witnessing that we get to do in these couple of weeks when... When Stetson University students are brought by their professors to ask Christians on the street, what do you have? What are you doing? Why are you doing it? If that group of kids walks up and sees ten people standing there with Jesus saved signs, and two of them they drink with, and one of them they do drugs with, and one of them they fornicated with three weeks ago, it doesn't matter what we say. And now look, you can say, well, it doesn't matter how I live. You're wrong. You're just wrong. It not only matters in your life, it matters in the life of everyone who knows you claim to be a Christian. It does matter. And we are being watched. In fact, we're being watched so carefully, it's the reason why why many people through the years have decided I don't want to be there anymore. It's too much scrutiny. It demands more of a testimony than I want to have. But I'm concerned about souls and I want them to go to heaven and not to hell. And I don't want to cause them. I don't want to be blamed for their going to hell. You say, well, if anybody goes to hell, it'll be their own doing. Yeah, I don't know about that either. Why would God give a crown to people that won people to Jesus Christ if, if it, they didn't have anything to do with it? And if you can get rewarded for winning people to Jesus Christ, how can you not bear some, some reproach for causing people to not be won to Christ? I don't know how all that works, neither do you. But eternity is a long time. 
And if it wasn't better to spend eternity with rewards than without them, the Lord wouldn't have told us to strive for rewards. So I don't, I don't know how all that works. I just know this. Those people were doing shameful things under Aaron's watch. And God said, Aaron, that's on you. You made them do that. And I'd rather this town hate me and criticize me and mock me and have a bunch of college kids who, ha- who don't even know me in the crowd. They have to ask, which one's the pastor? That'd be me. Okay, uh, why are you against? I'm really glad to know that the people at Stetson University who are engaged in sin know that this preacher is against it. I would hate for them to think I was one of those guys that told them, go ahead, it doesn't matter. They don't know my face, they don't know who I am, unknown yet well known, and yet the kids on that campus know there's a preacher and a church in this town that says, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt not. That's how it's supposed to be. Dad, mom, Sunday school teacher, Christian, that's how it's supposed to be. You guys are against everything. No, we're for Jesus, we're for God, we're for the Bible, we're for holiness, we're for family, we're for love, we're for joy, we're for a lot of things. But you don't ever talk about those things. All you talk about is drugs and drinking and fornicating and, and, and sodomites and all the rest of that. So yeah, we're against all that. And we don't have a God just popped out of the fire that has nothing to say about it. We have a true God and a living God, and he's writing with his finger on a table of stone and said, don't do that, and don't do that, and don't do that, and here's what I want you to do, and I want you to do this right here. Now, it wouldn't be an awful thing if the real God said, no idolatry, and the enemies watching saw that God's people making an idol. Wouldn't that sort of make a joke out of the whole thing? And so the Lord says, i got a word, I've given my word, and if the people who claim to have my word and know me are living contrary to my word, they make a joke out of the whole thing. So let's not be among that number. I'll do my best to stand for the word of God, and you do your best to stand for the word of God. And we'll do our best to help one another stand for the word of God and and. And by the grace of God, by the help of God, right up until the rapture, there'll be some Christians with a testimony for righteousness, at least in one little corner of this world. And that's all anybody can do. Amen. All right, let's pray together. Father.